Hey friend, Graham Baldwin here with The Speaker Lab. Hey, wouldn't it be nice if someone gave you the exact process to find and book more speaking gigs in 2024? That'd be nice, right? Well, I'll tell you what, we're just gonna do that for you. We've created a new 18-page guide based on Dan Irvin's process that helped him actually book over $100,000 in speaking gigs in the past year. Now, Dan is one of our uh, team members here. He's this, a very successful speaker and also one of our coaches. And so you're gonna learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, proposal emails, and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps. Again, that's plural, thespeakerlab.com slash steps. We're going to send you that PDF guide right to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps. That's it. That's all you got to do. Go there. Hey, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. You're awesome. What is up, my friend? Welcome back to the Speaker Lab Podcast. Grant Baldwin here. Really do appreciate you hanging out with us. Whether this is your first time tuning in to the show or you've listened hundreds of, maybe nearly, we're coming up on 200 episodes. We're getting there. We're getting there. But however many times you've listened, we do appreciate you being here. Whether you're a brand new speaker, you're just getting started, or you're a speaker who's been at this for uh, for maybe a couple months, couple years, maybe a couple decades, we really do appreciate you joining us a lot here. We're going to be covering a lot that we're going to provide for you today. Before we get into it, let me remind you, if you haven't already, you definitely want to stop by freespeakerworkshop.com, freespeakerworkshop.com. It is a free training that we do every single week teaching you all about how to find and book paid speaking engagements. So if you haven't had the chance to check that out, again, we'd love for you to check that out, be a part of it. Again, you can go to freespeakerworkshop.com, freespeakerworkshop.com and check that out. All right. So today we are talking with Dory Clark, who's the author of a new book called Entrepreneurial You, a really great book. I'd encourage you to check this out. And so with Dory, we talk about how she evolved her business to include speaking. It actually didn't always involve speaking. She actually started in some other revenue streams and then it eventually worked its way into speaking. Let's talk about the eight different revenue streams that she has in her business. We talk about how those revenue streams have built over time and how they ultimately really feed each other, kind of becomes uh, this environment where where they're kind of feeding one another. And we also talk through how speakers should look for other revenue streams to add to their business. So a lot of great information for Dory here on expanding beyond just speaking. So uh, let's get right into it. Here's my conversation with my friend Dory Clark. Enjoy. Hey there, my friends. Grant Baldwin here. Hey, today I'm hanging out with my friend Dory Clark. I'm super excited to have her hanging out with us. She is the author of a variety of books, including her newest, latest book, Entrepreneurial You, which she was uh, kind enough to, to let me get a couple sentences in there, snuck in the book there. She's going to have to pick it up and, and uh, dig for that. But Dory, how are you today? I am great, Grant. Thank you. It's always a treat to talk to you. Well, thanks for hanging out with us. So you do a lot of speaking. Would you say that like speaking is the primary piece of your business? I wouldn't say it's primary, but it is a substantial part of it. I mean, it's a six-figure part of my business. But one of the things that I've actually tried to very consciously cultivate over the past few years, which is kind of the subject of my book, Entrepreneurial You, is to have multiple income streams. So I actually have eight different income streams and really try to have a sort of balanced portfolio just to kind of de-risk my enterprise, as it were. Right, right, right. So in your speaking, again, I know that you do a lot of speaking. Give us just kind of a, some context. How much speaking are you doing? What are you speaking about? Who are the typical audiences that you're speaking to? Yeah, I actually have not calculated the numbers of gigs yet for 2017, but but I can, I can tell you exact numbers. In 2014, 
2014, let me think about this here. Yes. In 2014, I did 59 talks. In 2015, I did 61. In 2000, no, that's wrong. Sorry. In 2013, it was 59. 2014, 61. 2015, 74. That was insane. That was when I was like, no, that's no good. And then so I cut it back in 2016. And so I went down almost half to 37 talks. Cool. So for this year, I'm actually not sure how it's coming in because for the early part of the year, I was I was just kind of limiting yeah. speaking. I was I was kind of in heads down mode because I was preparing for the launch of my book and getting all the pieces together. But then starting this fall with the release of Entrepreneurial You, I've been out on the stump and uh, and speaking and traveling a lot. So kind of evens out, but I'm looking forward to 2018 being a calmer year again. Yeah. Good, good, good. So give us some context in terms of like, what are you typically speaking about? Is it always because you're obviously an author, you've got several books that have come out. Are you typically just speaking on whatever the content of the book is, whatever the latest book is? Or is there different content that you're doing? What, what does that look like? Yeah, typically the speaking is keyed to my books. So the general topics that I'm talking about, professional reinvention, based on my book, Reinventing You, I give talks about how to develop your breakthrough idea or how to build a following around your idea. So these are kind of like innovation themed talks based on my book, Stand Out. Mm-hmm. Now with Entrepreneurial You, I'm just starting to kind of get out there and speak about that, but it's you know, how do you think more entrepreneurially? How do you incorporate that into your life and into your company? And I also wrote an ebook that came out a while ago called Stand Out Networking. And so I'm often called upon to give talks about effective and authentic networking strategies. And what types of groups are you speaking to typically? So sometimes it's associations, probably the majority of them would be in-house for corporations and it's, you know, like gatherings, retreats, that kind of thing. So for instance, earlier this year, like this fall, I just spoke at a, uh, it was like a talent week or talent development week for Yum Brands, which is the company that owns KFC and Pizza Hut and Taco Bell. So they they just sort of had that that special thing. I spoke at a talent week for a big pharmaceutical company earlier this year. I've spoken for, again, some other, I seem to be on a little bit of a life sciences kick. So for a couple of other life sciences slash pharmaceutical companies, I spoke for their kind of staff gatherings. Like one was a group that was convening and it was kind of like a, hey team, we're all getting together because they were all working on this drug launch. And so it was like, let's get everybody on the page as we're working on this drug launch. So those types of things. Right, right. How did you first get into speaking in the first place? I think that's where a lot of people are of going, all right, at this point, you're someone who's been doing it successfully for many, many years. You have obviously several books that have done really, really well. But what was it like early on for you when you got started and, and became a speaker? Yeah. So I I launched my business, my consulting business and began working for myself in 2006. So that's now as we're speaking, been 11 years. So early on, I was speaking from the beginning for free as a marketing and and lead gen tool. So that was always part of the arsenal. And I didn't actually get paid to speak in any substantial way until basically until my first book came out, which was seven years into having my business. So I did a lot of free speaking. Typically, it was for things like workshops for my local chamber of commerce. I did kind of local civic groups. I would speak for, again, like local or regional nonprofit associations, Mm -hmm. those sorts of things. 
whenever you were doing all of those, it sounds like you were doing a lot of free things for several years. Obviously, there's got to be some type of ROI for you or it's not worth doing. I mean, I think for anyone that's listening, we and you and I, we, we enjoy speaking and it's a lot of fun and it's a way to make a difference and it's something we, we just feel like we're decent at. But at the same time, like we like to eat and live indoors and just have those basic needs met. So like, what was the win for you in doing so many free gigs for so many years? Yeah, part of it was was always the hope, of course, that people in the audience would would want to hire me for consulting projects. And yeah. so if the audience seemed to, to contain a, a decent number of people that I thought could be potential buyers, that was an incentive for me to do it. To a certain extent, too, it's it's social proof because you can you know say in your bio, oh, and she's addressed blah, 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 blah. And, right. uh, and then people look at that and say, oh, well, you know, they've had her speak. She must be reasonably credible. So those were the, the main drivers that I was thinking about early on. But for me, th- that experience for a long time of speaking for free kind of led me to to develop the framework that I call Clark's Law of Professional Speaking, right. which is basically like, okay, the process I think just about every speaker goes through. So phase one is no one wants to hear you speak at all, period. Uh, step Step two is, okay, people are glad to have you speak if you speak for free. Step three is people are glad to have you speak. And they might even have like a little tiny honorarium to give you. A couple hundred bucks there. That's right. And then finally, yeah, finally, step four, finally, is, you know, what we're all aiming for, which is where finally and eventually people are eager to hear you speak. And they're so wanting to hear you speak that they are willing to pay you what you are worth. But you kind of have to work through all of those steps and phases in order to get there. How long do you feel like it takes most, like most speakers that you've interacted with? I know you have plenty of speakers that, you know, you and I are mutual friends with and people that I'm sure uh, approach you and say, hey, how do I do what you do? What do you typically see as the the timeline that it typically takes for people to go through those four phases? Well, you know, the, the interesting thing is I think that there there's definitely ways that people can kind of hack or accelerate that process. And in many ways, it relates not at all to your speaking per se, but to the things that you're doing on the perimeter of your speaking. Yeah. One of the things that, that I have learned, and I'd certainly love to, to hear your thoughts. I know you have a great deal of expertise in this, but ultimately when people are hiring you to speak, especially if they are doing like a kind of open enrollment event, like a convention or, or some, you know, some association right. gathering, what they really want is they, they want a name. You know, I mean, for workshops, less so. But if you're actually aspiring to be a keynote speaker, they want somebody that other people have heard of because that is a draw that gets people to register for their event. And so the more you can do to raise your profile, to build your brand, to get that name, that makes you more valuable because they're essentially looking at you as a marketing tool. And so while I think it's really important, of course, to become a good speaker and good at your craft, in some ways, what matters more for that booking process, the marketing part of it is getting known in other ways by doing things like writing a book or, you know, blogging for high profile publications or doing other things so that people will have heard of you. Yeah, no, I think there's definitely some truth to that in terms of, especially people who want to be charging, you know, significant fees, you know, 15, 20, $30,000 in fees. Oftentimes the reason that in part that they're brought in is not just for the presentation or the content, but because at the end of the day, they can sell tickets and they can move tickets and, and people want to, oh, that so-and-so is speaking. Oh, Dory's going to speak there. I, you know, I want to hear Dory. So I'm willing to invest in a ticket and therefore ultimately it makes it more profitable for them to, to host the event in the first place. So I'm curious then, you, you mentioned like writing the books. What are some other the things that you have done to continue to position yourself as an authority, as an expert, as someone who can command higher speaking fees? 
Yeah. So this is actually part of a, a framework that I developed and talk about in my book, Stand Out, and in an online course that I've done called Recognized Expert. And I've done a lot of research into the question about how you can become a recognized expert in your field. And fundamentally, based on hundreds of interviews that, that I've done, I've determined that there's there's really three key components that you have to keep in mind and you know three levers to push. If you really want to do it right, you actually need to do all three. That's the trick. Because a lot of times people get frustrated because they're doing one really Really well. If you're not doing all of them at at least kind of a baseline level, then you run into trouble. So there's three things are content creation, social proof, and your network. And basically what these mean, content creation, of course, at a really basic level, no one is going to recognize you or praise you for your ideas if they don't know what your ideas are. So you have to somehow find a way to share them, whether that's blogging or writing a book or whatever. Social proof is really what's key here in answer to your question. This is about the credibility, the markers of credibility that you can amass around yourself. And I'll come back to that in a minute. The last one, your network, is basically if you're doing all these things, you know, however awesome they are, if you're doing them kind of off in a cave and no one knows about them, it's a problem. You need to have a network of people that can help promote you and be your ambassadors in the world. But moving back to social proof, fundamentally, there's a lot of ways you can do it. It's it's really just thinking what brands can I attach myself to that other people have heard of, which will redound to my benefit and allay people's concerns about my credibility? So for instance, it could take the form of blogging for publications people have heard of. It could take the form of having either worked for or consulted for companies that that people know in the marketplace. It could be taking a leadership role in a professional association. Social proof, it comes out, actually, it ties in with your network in some ways, because for instance, if you have a book, that book might be blurbed by friends that you have that are like really famous friends. So it's like, oh, wow, you know, Adam Grant likes this book or, you know, whatever. Any of those things becomes useful and that becomes a marketing tool for you. You mentioned the content creation. Is there any specific type of content creation that would work better than other for speakers? So obviously for you, one of the primary methods is a book. Obviously there's blogging, there's video, there's podcasts, there's a variety of different means of content creation. Is there some that would be any more valuable than, than others for speakers? So if we are looking for a way to rapidly raise your credibility and market value, what I would say is that as soon as you can, it is useful to try to ladder yourself up to aligning yourself with well-known pre-existing brands. So meaning a lot of people spend a lot of time blogging, but they might be blogging for their own website, for instance. That's great. And over time, that can become a really valuable resource. I mean, Seth Godin's blog is really valuable and really well-read. But that's because Seth Godin's been doing it for 20 years and yeah. people just know who he is. It takes a long time for that to happen. If you are looking to like, you know, make things happen in your speaking career in the next year, in the next two years, it is actually better for you to, yes, start writing for your own blog so that you can get some clips, you know, some examples sure. of your writing. But as soon as you can, I think it would be really useful for you to try to, to position yourself to get a gig where, you know, able to say, well, I'm a blogger for Forbes or for the Huffington Post or for Mind Body Green or, you know, whatever your field is, the thing that people know in that field, because fundamentally it's about reassurance, right? It's about risk mitigation. The person who is booking you is putting their reputation on the line by putting you on stage. They want you not to suck. And so the more assurances that they have, like, oh, well, you know, if such and such publication thinks that he's credible, then, okay, I guess he's not a lunatic. Let's give him a chance. Right. I like those three. All right. So content creation, social proof, and your network. How have you built your network over the years to give you some of that credibility as a speaker? 
Yeah, absolutely. And I'll actually just mention briefly, Grant, that in case people are interested, something I'm actually very proud of is with working in concert and sort of testing it on students in my recognized expert online course, I actually created a free scored self-assessment. It's kind of a a quiz or self-administered test people can take so that they can determine which of these three areas, the content creation, the social proof, and the network, they're strongest or weakest in and kind of gives them a prescription for where they can apply themselves to get the biggest results. Results. Yeah. If folks would like to get that for free, you can off my website at doryclark.com, D-O-R-I-E-C-L-A-R-K.com slash toolkit. So I just wanted to be sure to, yeah. to mention that in awesome. case people are interested in kind of figuring out where they fit in there. But in terms of my network and how I've built it, I actually have had to be pretty deliberate in some ways because three years ago, I moved from Boston, where I'd lived for a long time, to New York. And when I came to New York, you know, I had like acquaintances for sure, but I didn't really have any close friends. And so I had to, I really had to like turn it up. <laughs> you know, like, oh man, I need to get some friends. And as an adult, you don't necessarily do that all that often. And so I, I really had to be conscious about how I did it. So one thing that that became kind of a cornerstone strategy for me was I started organizing dinner gatherings and I would host them pretty regularly. Sometimes, I mean, I'm not doing it this regularly now because I'm on book tour and, and right. you know, I'm, I've kind of gotten more of a network. But in the early days when I like had zero friends and zero social invitations that were incoming, I would do two or three a month. So, so, you know, almost every week or every other week, I was having these like 10 person dinner gatherings and I would have them at a restaurant and I would invite sometimes just authors or sometimes like authors and entrepreneurs that I knew and, uh, or, you know, I'd ha- I would do it with a friend for instance. And so like I'd invite three people and he'd invite three people. And that was actually great as kind of a a sourcing mechanism for just right. bringing new people into my life. And if, if we hit it off at the dinner, then maybe we would become friends outside of it. But that was a good strategy. The other thing that I would suggest for people in terms of networking, which I've found to be very helpful, is actually the way that I'll describe it is if you get an in somewhere, if you kind of have have this opportunity, you know, the door opens, you need to get yourself in there and you need to really leverage that opportunity because one of the most powerful forces when it comes to networking is the power of peer relationships. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is that you kind of need an excuse to approach people sometimes. Like people are just so busy. If you get like a cold call, a cold email, it's like, who's this person? What do they want? What is this? You know, but if someone has a reason and it doesn't even necessarily have to be like some amazing reason, but if they have a reason to contact you, then it's like the guard goes down and it's like, oh, okay, maybe I should make time for this. And so whatever your reason is, it could be Hey, I'm a fellow alum of blah 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 school. Yeah. Or hey, I you know. So this is something that I did. Hey, you know, I just started writing for Forbes. I see you write for Forbes too. Why don't we get coffee and we can trade notes about our experience? Right. You know, like like any club that you enter, you want to maximize the value of that club because you are now on a peer level with a bunch of people who might even be more successful than you. But in this particular element, you're a peer, so make use of it. Yeah, I think that's a great point. In fact, over the weekend, uh, at the time of this recording, I was at a conference and met a guy that I'd looked up to and admired, and he has three kids in identical ages as mine. So <laughs> it was nothing from a professional standpoint. It was just as a personal, as a you know, one dad to another dad with three kids right. at the same stages. You got to lay the groundwork. You can marry totally. them off. It'll be amazing. <laughs> I don't know about that. I don't know. <laughs> so, but just like I mean, just comparing notes there, you know, again, it makes that personal connection. And one thing you kind of alluded to there, like when you moved from Boston to New York, was the importance of meeting people in person. So it's one thing to exchange some emails. It's one thing for to talk online. It's another thing for you to actually meet that person physically. And I've always found for me personally that 
when I when I meet people in person, it just changes the dynamic of the relationship. So even if you've exchanged emails over the course of months or years, but when you meet them in person, it really changes that connection that you have. Have you found that to be the case? Yeah, I think it really is. And so one of the the things that I often advise people when it comes, for instance, to social media is, I mean, social media is a great way to connect with people, but I never think of it as like the whole thing. Social media is great as either a way to warm up a relationship so Mm -hmm. that the person kind of knows who you are before you meet them in person, like at a conference or whatever, or it's a way to kind of keep in nice light touch once you've met somebody so that they remember who you are. And it's like, oh, how nice. It's a note from Dory, you know, but if that's just where it stays forever, it's not going to be very deep or very effective. So yeah, you've got to make the transition into an in-person relationship. So next time you're in New York, Grant, give, give me a holler. I we know. Hang We've out. talked Good. numerous times and we have we yet have. to meet in person. And that's I know we got, right. we got a lot of mutual friends. So we're we're going to make it happen. In Absolutely. fact, I was, uh, I was talking with someone yesterday who invited me up to New York to come hang out that uh, I know you're friends with as well. So we'll chat on that later. But, nice. Uh, okay, let's shift gears for a second. So one of the things that you mentioned at the beginning was that you have uh, eight different income streams and revenue streams. So again, a lot of times people may think like, oh, she's a speaker and she's an author and that's the end of it. But obviously there's a lot more going on behind the scenes there. So can you walk us through what are those eight that revenue streams that you have? have. Yeah, absolutely. And and even, you know, with speaker and author as kind of a base, there's a lot of things you can do off of it. And, you know, sometimes people might immediately think, oh, well, if you have eight income streams, that must be like just pulling you in so many directions. You must be doing so many things. But really the trick, I think, and this is what I encourage people to do, is to think about having a hub and then your income streams are just spokes off of it. It's not that you're doing wildly different things. Mm-hmm. It's that you are packaging things in kind of slightly different ways, mm-hmm. or you're offering things to different kinds of things, but related to the same audience. So yeah. just uh, being strategic that way. But so my eight, the way they fit together. So the, the first one, of course, is kind of how I started my business to begin with, which is doing marketing strategy consulting. Okay. I now also do executive coaching. I write books, as you mentioned. I speak. I do part-time teaching for the Fuqua School of Business at Duke. I'm actually heading down there later this week as we're speaking. I began doing online courses last year, which which has been really exciting. I do affiliate promotions. In fact, we've even done some together for mm-hmm. uh, for your speaker lab. Uh-huh. So I've uh, collaborated on that. And, uh, and then the last one, the eighth one, is that in the last year, I've started doing some live events and mastermind groups as well. All right. Consulting, coaching, books, speaking, teaching, courses, affiliate events. I think I got them all there, right? Yeah. Okay. So I'm curious then, you, one of the things you kind of touched on as a precursor there is that they all kind of indirectly tie together. So can you, now that we know what these eight are, can you help kind of connect the dots of how do these eight tie together? Because again, like you mentioned, like on paper, I'm looking at this going, dang, that's, that's all, you got a lot of irons in the fire there, but they are related and interrelated in, in one way or another. So kind of talk about how you manage these eight without it being overwhelming to you. Yeah, the way that I like to think about it, Grant, is that ideally you want to have them so tied in that if you're promoting one thing, it's not that it's taking away from something else. It's actually that promoting one thing actually in some ways promotes all the things. So for instance, I'm on this podcast with you now talking, you know, the sort of putative reason is uh, for the launch of my new book, Entrepreneurial You. So hopefully if people like the conversation and think it's interesting, they'll buy a copy of the book. Great. That's awesome. It's kind of a good $20 entry point as it were. But 
for some people, that's not the end of it. They might say, oh, this is really helpful. I should, you know, I should do more of this. So some of those people are perhaps going to get interested in learning more. They might want to do private executive coaching with me. So that's, that's one sort of stream. Some people might look at that. They might say, you know, I'd love to do private executive coaching, but maybe they can't afford it. Maybe they're just starting their own business and they, they can't quite do that. So they say, well, you know, what else is there? Oh, well, I could do an online course with Dory. That would be a cheaper option, but right. you know, something that would be cool. So there's that as a possibility. A certain percentage of people who read the book might, for instance, work at a company or organize events where they bring in speakers. So some of them might decide to uh, to hire me for a speaking event. You speak at this event, let's say there's 200 people in the room. Okay. Some of them, in fact, might decide they want to sign up for coaching or maybe they want to join a mastermind retreat that I'm doing. You know, any, any of them kind of tie together and support each other and people can jump in at whatever level, whatever place. And they sometimes, you know, they go, they go backwards and they backfill. Someone might start with expensive private coaching and say, oh, you know, I should, I should get that, that online course or, oh, I read Entrepreneurial You, but I never read Reinventing You, the one before I should buy that one. So that's how they tie together. Kind of reminds me of that old saying or quote that that a, a rising tide raises all ships. And so Very doing much. one thing really has a, a trickle-down effect to everything else and every other part of your business. So I'm curious then for you, like how important is it for speakers to develop multiple streams of, of revenue? I think it's a very useful thing, especially because, you know, speaking, unfortunately, is a little bit precarious in the sense that, number one, as we all know, it's unfortunately very tied to the economy. Mm -hmm. And whenever there's recessions, corporations almost inevitably cut back on conventions, they cut back on events, they cut back on speakers. It's just, you know, kind of one of their go-to moves. And so when times are good, fantastic. When it's a recession, it's like, well, okay, what else have you got going? So that's an important thing to have in your back pocket. Another reason is that you may just have different options and opportunities. If you are getting booked to speak at at a corporation, you're getting paid a good rate, fantastic. There might also be opportunities though. Let's say that there's some charitable event or something that you want to do, but they don't have very much money. They have 500 bucks or thousand bucks. You'd like to do it, but it's not really going to be worth your while. But you say, well, you know what? I can do this, but will you guys let me sell books at the back of the room? And I know this is something, Grant, that you've done to great success. You have a self-published book that you've sold in the back of the room. You've sold tens of thousands of them. Mm -hmm. So that's been a pretty good income stream. So having some options like that can make a broader range of things actually profitable. Yeah, it really takes the pressure off of the one primary thing that you're doing. So if the primary thing is speaking, like you mentioned, you know, maybe the economy takes a hit or one of the things that, that's very true with speaking is that speaking can be very, very cyclical, meaning that that one month, I mean, I know we were talking a little bit about this beforehand offline that, you know, one month you may just be slammed and you're like, I'm, I'm making bank this month. And then the next month you're like, there's just nothing happening, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. you know, historically spring and fall are really busy for speakers, summer and basically after Thanksgiving through... Yeah. Like no one's having January. a conference like yeah, Christmas. Nobody's doing anything, you know? So it's yeah. just like, there's just huge months and huge valleys. Uh, and so just being able to balance that out with other things. So one of the things I'm curious about is, as I'm looking over your list here, coaching, consulting, book, speaking, teaching, courses, affiliate events, there's a lot of speakers that I talk to that say, I want to be that personal brand and I want to do all of these things. The reality is, is that you may be able to do all those things. You just can't do them all today. Something's going to come first and something's going to come last. So how have you kind of, you know, as you started with doing some speaking and then you add in a book and then you add in some coaching, 
coaching, and then you add in some consulting. How have you kind of managed adding additional revenue streams without overwhelming yourself and not trying to do all the things at once? Yeah, great question. And it's an important point because, of course, I would definitely not advise people to, you know, oh, let's add 10 revenue streams this right. year. That that would be a poor idea. Ultimately, what I would advise is for people, if you're wanting to add more revenue streams, to pick no more than two. I would say one is great, two maybe, if you're feeling ambitious, in a given year to focus on adding. Any more than that. And it's complicated because each one kind of requires us sometimes you develop new skills or, or new areas of your business model. So don't take on too much. It's been about a six-year process for me to be developing all of these new revenue streams. For the first like six or seven years of my business, I literally had one. And that, yeah. was, that was the consulting part. It's only later that I've added the other pieces in. So pacing yourself, I think, is the first thing. The second point that I would make is that some elements are easier to add in at first than others. And the way that I think of it is basically related to the scope of your following. So meaning coaching and consulting are pretty easy to do, even if you're just getting started, because you don't need a huge following to do that. You just need a few people that know you who are the right people. And, you know, hey, then you don't need to have a million people who know your name to get hired by somebody to be their nutrition coach right. or, or whatever. You just have to penetrate this particular audience. However, for something like if you're doing a large scale live event, if you're like, oh, I'd love to, you know, have 500 people in a room, blah, right. blah, blah. You should never do that if you're first starting out. It is, you know how hard it is to right. like get 10 people in a room. Oh my God. And then to get like way more than that, that would be insane. So I'm not even at the point now where I feel confident that I could get like 500 people in a room. I've started doing now relatively high dollar, but small events, like 10 people, 12 people. I think the biggest one I did was like 25 people. And that's great. And my following is big enough now that I feel confident that I can bring that size group together. But if we're talking about like, let's fill the stadium, that is something that I think people should pace themselves with. And in fact, I'm pacing myself with that. Yeah, I think that's just a great point that overall your your trajectory of you have these eight different revenue streams, but they haven't happened overnight. That like you mentioned at the beginning, you you've been at this for eleven years, and the first six years was just doing one of the revenue streams before you. It's really the same way for me. Like speaking was pretty much it for the first several years before we started adding in some other elements and layers to it. So yeah, today it's easy to look at yourself or myself or some of these other people and say, well, they've got this and this and this and this and this and this, but that didn't happen overnight. And it was, you know, starting with one thing and doing like figuring that out, getting that worked out and then adding a second thing and getting that going and building some momentum and then adding a third thing. So I would echo you with like the event side, like I'm intrigued by events, but I know it's one more thing. And I know that I want to make sure that the other, the other plates are spinning properly before we try to, you know, to tackle this next thing. So when someone's looking at all these various options, is there a good, you kind of mentioned like the, the service-based side of it, consulting, coaching, those can be potentially lower hanging fruit. Is that what you would tend to, I'm just wondering like of the eight, how would you figure out which one should come first for any given business? And obviously it's going to be different for everybody, but any thoughts there? Yeah. And actually in, in my book, Entrepreneurial You, I actually kind of introduce th th each chapter based in, in kind of a rough order. Now, of course, everybody's going to do it a little differently and it's not like it's a it's a set or fixed thing. But broadly speaking, I structure it kind of in the order that people might consider doing it. So yeah, I, my bias is always when you're initially starting out, go for the things that require 
no fixed expenses like coaching. You know, all you have to do is have your laptop and kind of say, okay, go. Right, and, uh, right. and you can start doing it. And that don't require a huge infrastructure or a large following for it. So for instance, the reason that I like some of these service-based things initially is that it allows you to deepen your expertise, really learn your craft as you're building your following. But some of the other things downstream are really good options like affiliate income, you know, affiliate, doing affiliate mm-hmm. promotions, having an online membership community. Those things are great. And certainly for affiliate income, I mean, even if you have a small following, yes, you you could do that, but it's just not going to earn you very much money. If you have 100 people on your list, if you have 500 people on your list, you know, okay, you do an affiliate promotion, maybe, maybe you get a sale, you know, that's, that's great. And that's some money in your bank, but it's not going to be a lot of money. So it's just a question of sort of pacing your expectations. But meanwhile, if you get up to 10,000 people on your list, 50,000 people on your list, that actually could be a substantial income stream based on the percentages of people who are converting. Similarly, online membership community, great business model. Anytime you can do something that has predictable recurring revenue, that is gold. But an online membership community is not going to be fun for anyone if you have three people in it. That's not helpful at all. You need to have a critical mass. In order to get that critical mass, theoretically, you need to have a decent following to begin with so that a certain percentage will yield into that community. So that's, that's really how I think about the phasing. And it's also really important to think through like you personally and what you want to be doing. What's the business model that makes the most sense for you? So, you know, something that may be super appealing to to Dory may not be appealing to to you or to someone else, you know, that that is going, yeah, I mean, that's int- and you could do that. It's just maybe not that doesn't fit your skill set or something that you're interested in or intrigued by. So uh, thinking through what ultimately makes the most sense for you as well. So, all right, we've kind of danced around it. Tell us about Entrepreneurial You, this new book that you've got out and uh, where can we pick it up? Yeah, thank you very much, Grant. So yeah, Entrepreneurial You is uh, is my new book. It's just out from Harvard Business Review Press. And it is basically a book about how to create multiple income streams in your business, how to monetize your expertise, and how if you are an entrepreneur or an aspiring entrepreneur to just tap open new veins of revenue so that you can make more money and diversify so that you're you're kind of de-risking yourself. That's something that that I think in this economy is really important to do. And it allows you to do some fun, cool new stuff. So I interview more than 50 top entrepreneurs, people like Grant, people like the Grant has had on the show, like, you know, Michael Port, uh, our mutual friend, John Corcoran, who I think introduced us, you know, yeah. some great talented entrepreneurs really going in depth about their business model and how specifically they make money and laying out a roadmap so that regular professionals can look at that and see what works for them, you know, sort of choose from the smorgasbord. And as you say, figure out, all right, I like this. I'm going to try this. This one over here, not so much for me. I think we need more of a kind of frank conversation about how people actually earn money, especially in the online entrepreneurship space where there's sometimes a little bit of chest puffery. So uh, we're, we're getting to the real stuff. So if people are interested in picking up a copy of Entrepreneurial You, it's available at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, you know, many, many savvy real world bookstores as well. And if people would like to think more about how to apply these questions themselves, about how to get more income streams in your own business, there's actually a free resource that I developed called the 88 Question Entrepreneurial You Self-Assessment. And folks can get that for free right off my website at doryclark.com. Awesome. Well, Dory, thank you so much for hanging out with us. We appreciate the time and uh, we appreciate you sharing uh, Entrepreneurial You with us. So we will make sure and link up to that and uh, send people that way. And uh, personally, I appreciate you uh, including me as a little case study in there as well. That was fun. So uh, hopefully people will pick that up and check that out. All right, Miss Dory, appreciate you hanging out with us. Hope you have a great rest of the day. Grant, thanks so much. Take care. 
All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Ms. Dory Clark. Again, I'd encourage you to check out her new book, Entrepreneurial You. It's a great book. And uh, as we discussed there, I got a little mention in it. So that's fun. So again, check out Entrepreneurial You from Dory. Hey, uh, again, we do appreciate you being here. Appreciate you listening. Like I mentioned at the top of the show, make sure you check out freespeakerworkshop.com. If you are looking for a step-by-step plan on how to find and book paid speaking engagements, then Free Speaker Workshop is the place for you. We'd love for you to check it out. We'll catch you next time, my friend. You're awesome.